What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Ben, here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Eric Kaysen, extremely based Bitcoiner, extremely passionate Bitcoiner, and somebody who's bringing some incredible ideas to the space. You guys are in for one hell of a ride. Enjoy it. This rip is brought to you by good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. You can do so much more with your sats now. They just upgraded. They're rolling out Lightning Network payment ability on the Cash App this week. I got access to it last week. I think they're doing a slow roll, working out the kinks, but it does work. I have paid Lightning Network invoices successfully from the Cash App. Cash App makes it easy to stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats, if you so please. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, Make sure you use the code STACKINGSATS. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. This was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you secure your Bitcoin wealth. Bitcoin is generational wealth. And Unchained is here to provide you services to help you secure that generational wealth and eliminate single points of failure as you secure that wealth. If you have all your Bitcoin on an exchange, it's just sitting there. That's a single point of failure. If that exchange gets rug pulled, if the, for some reason the government says you can't send your Bitcoin anymore, uh, single point of failure. You get locked on there. Single seed wallets. Uh, uh, single point of failure as well. If you lose your wallet and your backup, you're shit out of luck. Unchained has a collaborative custody model, two or three multi-sig where you hold two keys Unchain holds the third key. Uh, you always have full control of your Bitcoin. If you have your two keys, you move it in and out of the wallet of the multi-sig vault as you so please. If you're ever in a pinch, Unchain is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig signature. It helps you distribute your risk uh, and, and have a better peace of mind with your Bitcoin security setup at the end of the day. They have a white glove concierge service. It's going to take you from zero to having your vault set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in the vault. If you tell them the TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off the package, which includes multiple video conference calls to get you comfortable with the vault. Uh, they're going to send you hardware wallets, help you get those set up. They're going to set the vault up with you. And again, dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in that vault. Check out everything they have going on at Unchained at unchained.com. Uh, they have an incredible blog. They have more products beyond the vault product. Uh, they're doing incredible things in the Bitcoin space. This rip is also brought to you by good friends at Brains. Brains. Brains is the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest Bitcoin mining pool in existence. Launched in 2010. They're also the team behind Brains OS Plus auto-tuning firmware, which allows you to stack more hash and thus more sats with your ASICs. Okay, so if you have an ASIC compatible model that is able to have Brains OS Plus firmware downloaded onto it and you are not using Brains, you're leaving sats on the table. Uh, on top of that, if you're in the mining game and you want to get a bunch of insights and data into what's going on in the mining world, uh, how profitable your particular setup may be, what your cost of mine Bitcoin is, they have insights.brains. That's brains with two Y's, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Uh, you go there, there's a plethora of data and resources to get a better understanding of what's going on in the mining industry at any given point in time. Go check out everything they have going on at brains.com. It's brains with two eyes. Brains. This work was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. We're here uh, to allow you to use your Bitcoin as collateral to get uh, liquidity, stablecoin liquidity, uh, while engaged, leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties to ensure 
that your Bitcoin isn't being rehypothecated throughout the duration of your loan, how it works. Uh, you put your Bitcoin, you go to lend.hodlhodl.com, you go to the marketplace. And if you want to get some liquidity, you can put your Bitcoin up as collateral on a two or three multi-sig. You hold a key, your counterparty holds a key, HODL HODL holds the third key. Uh, you don't have control of the Bitcoin in that multi-sig wallet, but you do have visibility into it so that you know that your sats are not being rehypothecated and you're going to get them back at the end of the day if you're paying your stablecoin lo loan back. Uh, if you want to get yield on your stablecoins, you want to enter the other side of the marketplace, you can do so. You put it up for people looking for liquidity and then you get your what you put up plus interest back at the end of the day. So go check all this out at lend.hodlhodl.com. Last but not least, this writ was brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin 2022, which is the largest Bitcoin event in the world that will be taking place on April 6th to the 9th in Miami Beach, Florida. Florida. All four days will be exciting uh, and will be jam-packed with ex exclusive content. Uh, it is incredible. Um, messing this one up. It has an incredible... Sorry, we just got a new script in. Uh, lineup of Bitcoin speakers, artists, and leaders. Day one is industry day for enterprising Bitcoiners who are looking to build a business or career within the ecosystem. Day two and three are general conference days featuring speakers like El Salvador President Nayib Bukele, who was promised a big surprise at the conference, as well as CEOs like Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back, and hundreds more. The conference caps off on the fourth day with the world's first largest Bitcoin music festival, Sound Money Fest, headlined by rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic. Stevie Aoki got added to the list uh, in the last week. Run the Jewels did as well. CL, San Holo, Dead Mouse is going to be there. It'll be a, a bumping day. I don't know what day the ninth is. I imagine it's a Sunday, but it seems like it's going to be a good one. Uh, last year's conference sold out, and this year's is on pace to be 3x larger. So make sure you grab your tickets before it's too late. Visit b.tc slash conference to learn more. Pay in Bitcoin to save and use promo code TFTC for 10% off. And I will see you in Miami where Matt and I will be recording a live RHR. Whew. That was a long one, Car. I know the ads are getting long for you, so I'm sorry. Uh, enjoy this rip with Jordan. It's a hell of a conversation. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Eric and what the hell is going on in the world right now? Uh, you know, every day it gets crazier and I have to wake up each morning and have a cup of coffee and think to myself, somehow today is going to get dumber than the day before, even well, though I didn't think it was actually possible. Well, how's that happening today? Today, I think the world's getting a little smarter than the day before with Boris Johnson coming out saying they're, they're finally going to rip off people's masks and, and not go forward with the vax mandates. That was a little nice thing to wake up to today. I, in all honesty, I saw it and I, and I thought, I was like, oh, this is like fake news. I got <laughs> I to look through to see if they, and I saw it like two or three more times and I was like, maybe, maybe it's actually happening. And, this, and, and I think right now is the most interesting place because like their narrative clearly isn't working anymore and some are dropping off. So it's like the music stopped and some people are still dancing and some people aren't. So I'm really interested to see how it plays out. I am too. Is this the epic blunder 
that people like us have been waiting for an epic blunder from the the regime, the Davos class, if you will, that that finally shakes people out of the the existential crisis that we found ourselves in the last two years. I don't know. Um, I hope so. I f- it feels like the the expert class has been delegitimized pretty pretty handily the last two years, but I think just uh, my nature, Bitcoiner's nature, is to be a bit more optimistic about their downfall. They, they always tend to survive longer than um, we expect. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is kind of part of the acceleration of that. You know, there's this class of people that they... Uh, this is all about authoritarianism to them. Like they don't, they don't actually care about what that, that outcome is. It's just as long as we're making sure we listen to people. And uh, yeah, as it accelerates, I, I'm just kind of afraid that I'm going to find a, a whole series of people um, just unavailable to that actual thinking for themselves and logic. And it's pretty scary because I feel like the, this pandemic was such a great preliminary method to really test people on that. Um, and so I'm, I'm still pretty scared. It's nice to see that the UK is scrapping it, but until we're out of these state of emergencies and everything, I'm going to be, be holding my breath. I'm optimistic, but, but I, I just don't expect the state to roll over so easily, particularly after staking so much on, on getting to roll out these biometric IDs and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't think they're going to roll over easily too. You see these, these headlines, Boris, Ending the uh, the lockdowns and the mandates, but that's just like one little piece of catnip. They'll always drag you back in, and it is again. It feels like we're uh, in a struggle for the the soul of humanity, if you will, right now. Uh, like, what what path are we going to take? Uh, are we going to continue down the path of biometric data collection and certification to get into particular things, or even spend money? Um, or is Bitcoin going to win? Are we going to get freedom? Are we going to free ourselves from the shackles, both mental uh, and physical, that, that we've sort of put our put on ourselves over the last, however, number of decades? Um, like how? Uh, I mean, we're we're at a really radical breakpoint, and it's really important to understand. Uh, in my opinion, this is a, a very unique moment in human history very different from any others before because if we get caught in this biometric cage like there there's no extricating ourselves from it uh and i think it was, it was really interesting that, that chamath you know said his horrific things about not caring about the uyghur people when <laughs> understanding the uyghur genocide is is super important because like this is the first instance of a genocide where it's not just about killing out the people and destroying their culture it's about hollowing out the people entirely, obliterating their culture so there's no remnant of it. You can't even remember it or be connected to it. And now you're these vacant, empty bodies to be pushed about. Uh, and like that, that 100% is absolutely what communism wants. And it wants to make sure that everybody is empty in that same way, that there is no God, you don't have a soul, that you're an empty, vacant husk to be moved around. You can be monitored at all times, watched by anybody, have that information accessed by any corrupt agent of the state. And we can't escape it, you know, and I really want to emphasize that point because all other things before this, there's usually been a capacity to escape it. Uh, But if this thing gets implemented, I have a very hard time seeing how we destroy it. And I feel extremely hopeful that like Bitcoin is this 
gem that we have that we can kind of build around to resist all of it. And at the end of the day, you know, like the the truth, the freedom, the liberty that that we ascribe to and strive for, uh, that's like an infinite cause of generation from ourselves. Whereas like the totalitarian that they represent, it's uh, it's pretty limited because it's, it's based entirely on a fear predication uh, and about threatening people and their livelihoods in order to get compliance. So I think in long term, you know, we're going to win. It's just going to be pretty magnificent to see how it all unfolds as it plays out. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Chamath, specifically Chamath, Ray Dalio, two very prominent billionaires here in the United States over the course of the last few weeks alone have made very interesting comments, as you mentioned, Chamath, with his completely uh, apathetic, I don't even know if that's the correct word, uh, framing of the the Uyghur the the, the situation of the Uyghur people within China and the fact that they're uh, they're they're uh, being put in concentration camps and uh, sterilized and women raped and stuff like that and Ray Dalio saying that he thinks that the United States should try to emulate the the uh, equal prosperity um, theme that that China the communist. Chinese party specifically tries to imbue on on its country. And it, it seems like, and we've seen similar things like this in the past, the NBA specifically, Daryl Morey at the time, GM of the Houston Rockets comes out in support of the Hong Kong protesters in late 2019, Adam Silver, LeBron James, and uh, all, everybody who has a lot of financial interest in the NBA slapped him down, put him in his corner and uh, apologize to the Chinese government. And it seems like in the West, there's a lot of the corporate and institutional capital class that sees the, the growth of the Chinese economy as an opportunity to exploit, to produce yield on, on capital that they want to invest. And they are willing to sacrifice, and uh, maybe they never had the principles, but uh, there are American individuals and companies that should be uh, ascribing to the ideals, mainly uh, the right to freedom, private property, sound money, uh, and bodily autonomy um, that, that the founding fathers set forth uh, hundreds of years ago, yet they're, they're looking at this potential profit that China could potentially provide them, and they're, they're throwing out those ideals to um, appease this authoritarian regime, which is quite sickening to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they ever had the ideals to begin with, but it's clear if they did that they're they're extinguished at this point in time. Uh, and, and what upsets me the most about this is like this is, this is more the same bullshit fiatism of this short term thinking. Because yeah, sure, you can sacrifice all these core values that that are fundamentally the principles that make market based economies work and function the way that we know and understand them. But sure, sacrifice all of that for going into the totalitarian panopticon, getting five years of profits from the Chinese based on horrific distortions that don't make any economic sense. And when this all crashes and, and, you know, the most profound and horrific crash that's obviously coming globally, because like, you know, we're clearly on the precipice of the second Great Depression. Uh, And when that happens, you know, uh, I have a very hard time seeing and understanding how China is going to avoid conflict other than through extreme totalitarianism uh, and general ruthlessness. 
But frankly, like, you know, I'm a free market guy. If these guys want to fuck up and go participate with the Chinese, that's their own business. I'll never do business with them. I'll talk shit about them. Uh, <laughs> Chamath also, like, I, I hope we don't encounter each other in person. Like, I have a list of, of people who, well, I won't go any farther, but he's on it. And uh, no, go a little frankly, further. when I meet shitty people, go a little you know, further I, with that. look like, uh, I think when we meet these people, we have a responsibility to say, hey, Chamath, like, dude, did you know, like, you're the bad guy? And, you know, he'll do all this bullshit and I'll be like, no, I'm going to hold you accountable. Like everybody walks around sucking your dick and telling you that you're the greatest guy ever because you have a bunch of money. But I want you to know you're an absolute piece of shit. And you really need to think fucking hard about saying what you said, particularly with you saying that your family fled from these same sort of circumstances that you should stop, shut your fucking mouth and think for a minute. And instead of celebrating how rich you are and making that about how great of a person you are, why don't you stop and think about what you just said, how fucking wrong it is, and maybe try to actually do some work to change the world in, in a positive way, because that's what you represent and what you want to do, right? Or are you just another fucking liar and sycophant? Because I actually think that's the real answer. So, uh, you know, I mean, if I was to encounter somebody like, like Kissinger, I would just kind of beat him to death in the bathroom, because uh, fuck him entirely. <laughs> yeah. Well, not just... I hate these people that say they represent American values when they're just fucking violent totalitarianisms that want to use the military industrial complex and solely our good fucking name. It, it really upsets me. It, it, it upsets me as well. I love your passion right now. And, and Jamath specifically, like he's always been the guy like, oh, I was part of social capital. I seed round investor in Facebook and all these social networks and they're doing evil in the world. Like LARP's about that. Like my kids will never use it, but he's still reaping the financial benefits of of those investments that he made at that VC firm. And well, no, it, it is. Like, I'm, I'm mad, man. Cause like, fuck, like fuck him. The fact that these are, there are real people out there that are suffering under horrific conditions from the fucking Chinese communists. And he says, it's below my line. Fuck you, man. It, it, Oh, it just, it outrages me. Like they're real human beings and they're below your line. Fuck you. Yeah. Sorry. Right. I, no, no. I, I, I don't like to get really worked up, but like that makes me really angry. These are real human beings. They're, they're not some fucking fantasy that lives in metaverse bullshit, okay? And, yeah. and you know, and I feel particularly because I, I visited China in early 2004 and I had a Uyghur man take me in and explain all of his culture. And it was really beautiful, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not in contact with him, nor was I afterwards, but I just think about him and, and, and it scares me to think that he might be dead at this point just because of, uh, of you know who he is and what his religion is. It's yeah, fucked well, up and it's wrong. But below his mind. Well, it's, it's very wrong, especially if you consider the, the history we've been taught as individuals here in the United States, too. I mean, World War II, obviously, the Holocaust is, is high on everybody's mind who, who grew up in the last 30 years, went through school the last 60 years, like never again. And it's happening today. And people, that's the thing that really... And I wrote about this in the newsletter a couple of days. Like we're getting to this point in America, like the, the Chinese and American economies are so intertwined and interdependent that like we're at the point where we need to hold the mirror up to ourselves and start asking and answering these hard questions. Like, do we want to be associated economically with a trade partner that is engaging in all these totalitarian uh, and genocidal actions. Uh, obviously, the United States, the military-industrial complex, which you mentioned earlier, we're in no way innocent ourselves, but uh, like at some point, you do have to begin to measure and engage these these actions and, and try to say, hey, are, are we actually doing the right thing here? 
Well, and I, I hope we're coming to that place. And I think Bitcoin's a big part of this as well. It's because holding that mirror up and looking at it, you know, there, there's an impossibility of like, how can we challenge or change any of this stuff? You know, when, when the financial system's so corrupt, it's so embedded, blah, blah, blah. But now we have Bitcoin. And with Bitcoin, like there's a way to actively resist this. There's a way to rebuild our economy that's based on these substantial ideas of freedom. There's ways to use Bitcoin and then integrate it into the legal system directly so that, you know, we we withdraw the power of the purse. And like my great fantasy is this idea of various American states making Bitcoin into their legal tender, that causing for competition amongst all of the states. Hopefully it'll cause a lot of problems for the federal government. So they'll have to pull back in, retreat, start, you know, the process of self-healing America from all the screwed up shit that we've done. In addition to the fact that now there's an established legal regime in the United States for a free form of money that is Bitcoin, uh, this can push out into the global economy in an extremely powerful way. And essentially it produces a neo-mercantilism that uh, I think is the best hope for uh, a Western classic liberal society to be able to thrive and have this digital economy and digital space available to us while still protecting our freedoms and liberty. Uh, I don't want to say it's a long shot because I feel like it's almost inevitable it'll happen, but the way that this builds over the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years, uh, it's going to be really fascinating. And the truth is, I think it's going to swing into a pretty dark place for a while. Um, I hope not. I'm, I'm always optimistic that it'll go smoother, but it, it, it's hard looking down the pipeline and not seeing some, some pretty dark stuff needing to happen in order to, to kind of wake us all up. In your mind, what are, what are some of those dark things? Well, the digital panopticon, first and foremost, like it, it's grown so much more powerful since uh, the pandemic had started. And now we've conditioned everybody to listen to the government, be terrified of everything. Uh, and once we get those biometric IDs integrated into a system that we can start refusing people, uh, to me, this is one of the most interesting places because, you know, talking about the Holocaust before, I feel like the American version we get is this really, really shallow surface level of that, like, hey, there were these people that were different and they put them in cages and then decided to kill them all. Like, to never do that again. But then when you talk to people about the idea of, like, a national health care policy and the idea of discrete eugenics uh, and saying, hey, like, this is where Nazism started from, most people are like, oh, no, like, that could never... It could never happen here. And like, wow, like we're watching these steps actually happen. Uh, and so like, I think the other dark thing is states unilaterally using the state of emergency to make pretty much anybody they don't like an enemy combat to provide, to deprive habeas corpus from really whoever they want. And uh, I have a very strong fear that they are going to do that to Bitcoin. You know, so you and me will find ourselves enemy of the state labeled as enemy combatants that will not be allowed a trial by a jury because of our belief about holding Bitcoin. And I think the state will eventually get there. And it's, it's a dark idea. And I hope that we preempt it by having states protect our rights. But uh, it is a deep fear of mine. Mine as well. I've almost resigned myself to the fact that uh, I'm already number one on the list. And number two will uh, be uh, <laughs> physically plucked up somewhere because I'm on that list uh, for being a Bitcoiner. But, uh, it is, it is a bit daunting, but like, so what would you say? Like, just let, let, look at the state of these people leading us. Like, look at the World Economic Forum, look at Biden, look at all the leaders of the world. They are just so visibly out of their depth. They're old. 
They're they're completely disconnected from the average Joe, the common man out there. They they cannot relate to the common man at all. Like, and on top of that, we have the communication tools today. This podcast, being able to video stream, uh, chat apps, social media apps, whatever it may be, to get better information out there. I think. For me, particularly, what I what I try to think about is like how can we better organize these independent information resources, these independent whether it's independent journalism or small media companies or alternative media companies, and really just turn up getting the distribution of the quality information, the signal that highlights the hypocrisy and the uh, abject evil of the the incumbent regime and, and try to change hearts and minds that way. That's something like I can't stop thinking about. Like we have the tools. How can we not figure out a way to leverage them to prevent the the dark the darkness that you just described from being an inevitability? I mean it's funny because uh I've felt so strongly for so long being committed to my individual anarchist ideals of of just not wanting to engage in the status politics in any way, shape, or form, because I feel like it's inevitable for failure. With that being said, uh, this technology is really new, unique, powerful. Uh, You know, the the fact that Joe Rogan's getting 10 times the amount of viewers as CNN, I I think is a a great testimony to that, you know, the broad and depth that your show meets for, for Bitcoiners. And I actually think the truth is, is uh, we're like moving into the phase of a recognition of the inherent, the political that exists within Bitcoin. And uh, I get this concept from Carl Schmidt of that there's a there's a division between the idea of party politics and the political. And party politics is about like how you in, how you try to have a liberal democracy integrate everybody and play in a really friendly way. And not like, well, oh, you're a Republican. I don't like you, but like, if you get elected, I'll, I'll obey, and like, that'll be okay. <laughs> and I think what we're realizing with Bitcoin is that there's this way to reactivate something that's truly political, and that it creates deep anonymity with the other political cl- classes, and that we regard the other political classes as enemies, and we don't want to integrate or play with them. And what's substantial about Bitcoin is that we can do this in a completely nonviolent and peaceful way. I don't think that, that that's been possible before, because if you did try that, you could easily be disassembled. And so I actually think what's happening is we're starting to move closer and closer to actually starting a political, like the political movement. That's about reclaiming American republicanism from these deeply corrupt powers. And my deepest fantasy is we, you know, we're, we create a foundational orange party that has the explicit purpose of kicking both parties out of the American political process and putting all these people on trial that, that have clearly corrupted the law endemically. And then clean shop, you know, because I think unless uh, we actually hold these people accountable, you know, the, the fact that Nancy Pelosi has made these absurd amounts of money over decades ripping off the American public by being able to make these trades that she knows she's going to make money off of, um, it's disgusting and despicable. And I think it's about time we finally talk about both sides are corrupt. And if we don't have some totally new political idea that we're going to continue to suffer under this. Um with that being said, I, I don't want to be responsible for any of it. I, I'm not interested in, in, <laughs> in really having those. I'm just not interested in the conversations. Like if, if you want to, if you want me to convince you of Bitcoin, like go talk to somebody else. Like uh, we can have a conversation once you're here and you want to 
talk about some of these crazy esoteric things I'm into. <laughs> if not you, then who are? No, but it's a, it's also like, yeah. If you don't get it by now, like I don't have time to <laughs> to explain this to you. Come back to me when you're ready. But yeah. how would an orange party, something like that, get implemented in your mind? Like I, I, again, going back to states' rights, does it have to start at the state level? Because I'm very much in agreement there. I think Bitcoin's acceptance at the political level is going to happen at the local politics level, at the, at the state level, at the county level. I think we're already seeing that Wyoming, Texas, Kentucky, a number of other states beginning to, and particular counties within states beginning to posture. I think they, they want to be uh, accepting of Bitcoin, Miami, obviously a city. Uh, and uh, that's been like one of the most bullish things uh, in relation to Bitcoin in the last two years is all these states beginning to compete for Bitcoiners. I think we need an energy resource state like Texas, Wyoming, Louisiana, uh, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio to create a what Alaska did with their oil permanent fund, but do that with like a Bitcoin mining fund. Um, Ooh. That's what I want to see. It's a, it's a Bitcoin permanent fund. Somebody make it happen. Yeah, that uh, and furthermore, like uh, as messy as this system has been, like the the American system, I think is so great because of the way that it has these state rights that are like sovereign states, like outside of the power of the federal government, which is what we really need right now. And so, how I think it happens is actually, uh, and this is funny because this was like something I got really hung up and obsessed with before Bitcoin, but it happens to to lead right back here perfectly. Is uh, the idea of using an Article 5 convention in order to be able to force an amendment to the United States Constitution to end the Fed and make Bitcoin into legal tender. And Article 5 specifically, because this this gets around everything in the federal government because you go through states directly. And so the idea, and this has never been done either, so it'd be interesting to see if the Supreme Court stopped it, which if they did, that you know, to me that's kind of the, the, the move to, to show that it's time for true revolutionary action. Uh, but essentially, if 35 states pass an Article 5 resolution to their, through their state legislature saying that we ratified the U.S. Constitution with this amendment, after it passes 35 state legislatures, it's supposed to be like it becomes an amendment to the United States Constitution at that point in time. Uh, but as I said earlier, this hasn't happened in U.S. history before, so that there's a real question of if the Supreme Court would stop it, which I think they would be to the risk that it has. But to me, this is how a whole movement kind of gets activated. And we really lean back on state solidarity and reasserting the Tenth Amendment in a very radical way to essentially ram back all federal power and go, no, like you guys are not a sovereign entity in this state. The state of Texas has sovereign rights here, Wyoming or whoever else. Uh, and I think it has to come through states in that specific way because of the way the federal government is just too far-reaching, it's too powerful, it's too unavailable, it's too susceptible to corruption. Um, and the other nice thing is, is, you know, as Bitcoiners, we happen to have quite a bit of money at this point in time. So if we need to start bankrolling this stuff, uh, you know, the, these people are, are spineless, you know, willy people that are going to easily capitulate over, you know, what, ten, fifteen thousand dollars will do what we say. Which like, by the way, like how like how gross is it that like you can buy a politician for like that that little of money? It's very gross. It's very gross. And it's I mean it's just a example of how corrupt the system is, how rotten it is. Like how 
because this it's a big conversation going on right now. I saw Paul Graham, I believe, tweeted um, something yeah. something about like the quality of life is the best it's ever been, and a lot of people are complaining about the the plight of the world and the the, yeah, the existential dread that exists. And he made the argument it's the the best time ever to be alive if you're a human. Which I mean, it's hard to deny. Obviously, we have this technology we're doing, <laughs> but there's something. <laughs> There's something culturally that's missing. There's a cultural aspect. Yes, we have all this GDP growth. We have this technology. We have these capabilities. But the culture is is very sick. If you if you take the time to observe it, dissect it, and understand the the values that it's espousing on on the the public. Well, like I I just hate this viewpoint. Like, look, you have the internet and TVs. Like, you should be happy. Like, oh, you're. Right. Like it doesn't make any sense why, you know, the, the 18 to 50 crowd is is killing themselves in record numbers and overdosing on drugs in record numbers. But yeah, we're happy. You know, and like I I just I, I have a really hard time with these really rich guys spouting off about their shit. Because oh yeah, like best time to be alive for a human, right? Uyghur people? Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like it it just really drives me crazy that these guys think because they made a bunch of money that they, they have the answers for everybody else in life. Um, and to me, again, like, this is about how deep into the corruption we are. Like, uh, words almost fail us at this point in time to convey what's even happening because people are so locked into the hypnosis of this spectacle that uh, they'll believe that stuff, you know? And, and when you talk to them about the idea of, like, do you have a soul? Is there an afterlife? Is there a purpose or meaning to this world? Like, what what is our being? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to try to live an honorable life? Uh, they, they almost laugh at these kind of questions, you know? And uh, it's really sad because, like, they, they have this real perspective that, you know, you don't have a soul. There's nothing beyond the world other than material stuff. Uh, this is your one chance to get all the crap that you want, so you should do it. And if you do it, that means that you're a great and wonderful person who obviously has made great choices in life. Um, and it's just it, it's just wrong, you know. It, it doesn't it doesn't have empathy. It doesn't have support. It doesn't have understanding. Uh, and, and I I just I really struggle with it. And it's really hard because you can feel crazy a lot of the time thinking that there's something wrong with the world. And I mean, I think, uh, I'm not sure about your experience, but my experience before meeting other Bitcoiners w w was pretty difficult. And for a long time, I just kind of thought I was crazy about Bitcoin. And then when I like met these other people that kind of saw it too, I was like, oh shit, like I'm not crazy. <laughs> uh, and it was just like such, it was such a helpful uh, understanding that like, not only am I not crazy, like I just see the world in a pretty different way, maybe a more classical way. Uh, and I just had to find other people that see and feel that. And I think connecting with those people uh, really helps you start to, to clear away kind of how corrupt and crazy everything is and start to see, you know, what we value as people, what we want to build together, what we want to create. Uh, and it's really wild that bitcoin is acting as this global shilling point for like everybody who cares about moving past the nihilism of the contemporary society uh it's just it's fucking awesome and i also think like we're just like a couple years into it because i feel like the signal was put out everybody started to congregate and we're like oh shit this is real so like what's next and i feel like that's 
exactly where we're at right now. And it's super exciting. It's very exciting. It feels very real. I mean, for me personally, I was very angry before I found Bitcoin. Again, I was 30 years old. I was senior in high school when the great financial crisis happened. Obviously, before that, 9-11 happened when I was 10. The Iraq war, the Afghanistan war, the war in the Middle East happened. A very impressionable point in my life. I followed up immediately with the great financial crisis. My dad was in finance. He got beat up from that stuff. And I was just like a very angry 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old and found Bitcoin. I was like, all right, this is the solution to this problem. I mean, I couldn't identify exactly what the problem was at that age, but I knew it had something to do with the financial system, something with the money. And Bitcoin came, I was like, ah. But then, yeah, I found Bitcoin and I was that, that friend uh, and, and family member just like annoying people. Like, hey, you, you, this is very important. When that click happened for you, did you kind of, did you kind of lose it for a little bit? Because like when, after I read the white paper, I felt this thing like slip in my mind where like I just felt like I had smoked meth and crack at the same time. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. I was like running around crazy. I'm like, look, put the money in it. It connects the points and it's going to save everybody. And it, it's, it's like Jesus put money in. And people were like, okay, yeah. calm, calm down. Calm down. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's going it's to change everything. And they're like, okay, relax. Yeah. Um, I was working. And it's awesome. Oh, my go bad. Ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I was working at a fund mm-hmm. at the time. I was an analyst. I was like literally sitting at my desk. I was literally the personification of the meme. Like I got fired from work because I didn't get fired from work. Because <laughs> I was just like reading Bitcoin stuff, but I was at work just like reading and consuming as much Bitcoin content as possible. And then like take my headphones off, like look at my coworkers, like we got to be looking into Bitcoin. They'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, it's uh, it was like, it's going to change. Cause we were trading currencies, commodities. I was like, this is going to change our business. Like, we're going to be able to settle this, this global currency to do uh, energy trades. We, we don't need all these FX pairs anymore. We got, we've got a distributed uh, digital currency. Now like, this is, we should be thinking about this. They're all like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, Please shut up. <laughs> it's like 2014. Uh, like, eh. Yeah, that, that, I was 2013. I was at a bank. Same, same thing, wasting all my time on, on Reddit, tri- like trading, writing about it, thinking about it. Uh, and I remember I had, a, I had a meeting with the CEO to talk about like how we we're going to advance tech at the bank. You know, and I was real excited because I was like, you know, thinking about pitching Bitcoin and all this other stuff. But uh, I go into the meeting and it's just about like adding iPads and all the branches and everything. <laughs> and it was funny because after we had that meeting, I, I, I literally walked immediately back to my desk, wrote my resignation and gave it to him. Because um, also, like, I was talking with, with Olaf at Coinbase at the time and he was like, come on board, we, like, need you. And I was like, I don't know, like, join this insane Bitcoin company over my cozy job at the bank. But yeah, after that, I was like, fuck this nonsense. This isn't going anywhere. So happy I made that decision. It worked out really well for me. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because er- early on, I... I with working in the Bitcoin industry, people like it was this fun thing, but it didn't have any of the air about it today. And I actually feel like we had to go through the block wars in addition to getting shit pointing to kind of like help focus Bitcoin in this way where it is today. And I also think that that's why kind of everything has been initiating over the last three years as opposed to like the last 10 years, which is pretty interesting. Agreed. Because I think if, I recall correctly, and I just like going back my experiences and my memory of how I was consuming Bitcoin content and what Bitcoin Twitter, it was crypto Twitter, 
back in the day, it was just a bunch of traders sharing charts. Um, you had Luke Dasher and Lop and John Carvalho back then and uh, Shinobi on Twitter, Mr. Hoddle as well, um, talking about like core development and stuff like that. But most of it was, from my recollection, just traders sharing charts. And it was a lot about the gains and the what, but not about the why. And I think what you're getting at is the last four years particularly are getting to the why. I think the Bitcoin standard was a big catalyst for getting people to think about the why, why money, why particular forms of money, why is it important, which is the number one thing we should have been focused on the whole time because that is the problem. The money's broken. People don't understand. People don't even understand why we use money. I mean, they get that you give somebody a dollar bill and they'll give you a good, but they don't really understand the, the technical underpinnings of using a medium of exchange to exchange and store value over time, um, which I think the last four years we've been getting into the why, not only why money, but why from a value perspective too. Why should we lower our time preference and, and decide to invest in things that are, that are more worthwhile than, than the ephemeral consume culture that we have today? Yeah, and I think uh, I think we needed all this scaffolding at first to start experimenting with it, seeing if it was possible. You know, like we, I, I think because we're so deep into this, like we don't have as much appreciation for the fact that like, Bitcoin just became a teenager. You know, I'm like uh, that care that it needed to kind of get it through, you know, and the nurture it needed in order to to help cultivate it growing. I don't, I don't think it was possible to really think about these much bigger and deeper why questions until it started getting powerful enough that we could feel confident that it couldn't easily get crushed out. In addition to like, I think uh, there's something really substantial about sitting with the questions, contemplating them, taking them seriously. Uh, and then also like having that in, inflect back upon us. I, I find it really interesting how the question of, you know, like what is money? Uh, there are these two levels to it. There's a real surface level one that most people understand of like, oh, it's the thing I use to exchange like buy other objects and like that's how it works. Uh, and it reminds me very much of Heidegger's idea of being. Like, you know, we, we all understand who we are as people and what our being is. Like I'm me and I'm Eric and that's my being of who I am in the world because I'm me. But when you start to dig a little bit deeper at the question, you realize that there's all these really complex aspects of it that you'd never really thought hard about before. And I think Bitcoiners have been picking at that with, with money. And that's essentially been developing a rabbit hole that's allowed for people to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and it's hilarious too, because like, you know, you show up for, for number go up and like, as you dig, you're like, like, what about my soul? Like who, who am I as a, a human being in the world? And like, what do I want to do? Uh, and it's just super funny that like this, what people thought was just money in their approach into coming in it was, was really this uh, induction process to contemplating what value is at a much deeper level. Uh, and it's very important, particularly where we're at in uh, a world that presents itself to offer unlimited materialistic pleasures. Yeah, which is a perfect comment to segue us into what I actually have as like the title of this episode. I just threw it up there because I was uh, on CryptoSovereignty.org today and rereading some of your old pieces. And uh, the last one I had up before I came over here to speak with you was Bitcoin is messianic. Like, has it been bestowed to us by God to save humanity from from the the sick 
consumerist culture that, that you just described. Yeah, and I and like I get, I, I think it's interesting because I think so many people probably read that and they go, "Ugh," and like immediately walk away. Um, and like I, I want to empathize with that. I understand why someone would have that perspective, but I really want to give you an opportunity to read it because with this state panopticon thing that's getting deployed the way that they're regarding people, the internet, uh, property in general, uh, it's pretty clear to me that the state's acting like a god at this point in time. Uh, and that's like a pretty bad uh, aspect to have going on if you want, you know, like freedom and liberty to, to actually be parts of your society. And so I think Bitcoin's messianic because the way that cryptography protects us is unlike any other institution or thing that's existed before. And it's really hard for us to wrap our head around that we can enter into a free relationship with Bitcoin utilizing its core cryptography to protect our wealth. Uh, and that, like, there's no exceptions to that whatsoever. If you have secured your Bitcoin properly and appropriately, it doesn't matter if the United States government and the Chinese Communist government are working together to try to extract that Bitcoin from you. They won't get it. Uh, and that truly is messianic in a world where the state has given itself the right to extract property and wealth from anybody for any reason it chooses fit, particularly under a state of emergency. Um, you know, and this is where my work goes really, starts to go really deep is because I focus so much on Schmidt and the idea of what the state of emergency is and how the sovereign exception can essentially destroy the entirety of the law. I think we're essentially at that place with money because it's really clear, um, there's no sort of legal standards at this point in time that are actually governing the way that we issue money. We have this board of governors. They're, they have some bylines that they account to. But the the fact that we have several board members of the board of governors resigning because of their unethical behavior and the fact that, that despite the fact that it's unethical behavior, they're not being legally punished for it should really highlight um, how much we're in a space that like this actually has very little legal aspects about it. Uh, and that's deeply troubling. You know, we all use money and it goes back to the same thing that that because people don't understand this and how dangerous of an aspect this is and how much power these individual men have, we really can't address it in addition to the fact that uh, there there isn't any particular process right now in order to try to renew money in a meaningful way through the legal process. Um and it's deeply disturbing, and like this is essentially causing for the collapse of, of the world of, as we understand it because of how, you know, the, the fact that gasoline prices have doubled over the last year is is really really wild and very concerning and alarming. And I'm quite shocked and surprised that more people aren't more upset and alarmed about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> I think it's it's not going to be long before. Uh, people start complaining about all rising prices, not just gas. I mean, inflation does not seem to be transitory at all. Um, and so and there is, I think, in 2022 going to be an, a social tipping point where people begin to get maybe not even angry, but at least scared about how quickly prices are, are rising. Uh, I mean, like in the stores here, I was at HEB here in Texas uh, over the weekend and there was a lot of empty shelves. Like it was actually pretty jarring like walking through um, the, the HEB here that there was 
a noticeable amount of empty shelves. And Whole Foods, I was there a couple of days before that. Everything was full, but you see these little signs begin to peak in rising gas prices, rising food prices, empty shelves. It's like, oh shit, things have really gone awry. But back to your comment about the Fed governors and the, the unethical activity they engaged in with their trading as well. Like, and, and that is another thing that people really have to realize about the monetary and financial system that we are currently forced to live within um, at this point. Like, it is inherently evil. Like, we talked about overt slavery with the Uyghurs earlier, but I mean, you have arguably, like, a humanity, a global level of debt slavery that people until Bitcoin was created have not had the option to escape unless they wanted to do like some some gold deals with each other behind the scenes. But like it, like we have a global debt slave class that is, as Bree Love says, having our life force suck from us via the inflation tax that nobody agreed to or opted into. And, and these people that are in control of the monetary spigots too. They're out there and they're they're taking their privileged access to the the spigot of monetary of money. Uh, and they're they're overtly benefiting from it financially, personally, and they're not getting in trouble. Like this is evil. There is no justice uh with this stuff. And people should be angry. And that's the most disconcerting part for me at least, of the overarching conversation of inequality today. It's as people are completely arguing about the wrong problem. They're, the money is the source of the problem and nobody's talking about it outside of Bitcoiners and Austrian economists. Yeah, and I mean, that, that, that goes back to this problem of people not understanding what money is at all. And so, you know, I'm like, I had the same, when... Before I was a Bitcoiner, when I was a far leftist, I had these same harebrained ideas like, oh, let's just like steal all the money from the rich and like willy nilly, like we're good to go. Right. Uh, it's funny because I really realized that like not being an entrepreneur and like not uh, engaging in any sort of process of building capital really like gives you that harebrained idea. And it's funny because recently I was talking to a, a far left friend, um, you know, and I got got more of this harebrained stuff. And it really occurred to me, I was like, oh, like. You can have these perspectives when you don't have any money because you don't have any money. You don't understand how to make it. You didn't struggle to get it. You didn't take risks to, to, to get that, you know. Um, in addition, like I have a family member who, who, you know, like when I complain about taxes, they're like, oh, well, like you didn't do anything to like make your money. You just got lucky. You know, and it's really upsetting that that you take on a risk in a particular way. You, you uh, dedicate the capital. uh whatever you do to build your business. And then you know, these hairbrains come along who, who just want to be like, well, you didn't do anything for that. Um, and I think this is really important because this is a component of, of actual evil. It is not being able to think logically about part of a process and actually come to, to true conclusions about what is happening there. Um, and it's pretty scary because I think I'm, another big part of this is, is like we've lived in this world where evil has been purported for so long continually. Uh, to me, like this is why we live in a world that, uh, you know, I would call nihilistic with that being sort of a false understanding of who Nietzsche is and his work. And that like people don't believe there is evil or there is good or, or any of these things in the world because they've been subjected to it for so long. Uh, and now that we actually have an opportunity to get a seat at the table, um, the thing that I've noticed the most is that 
a lot of people don't want to engage with most of this because it, it's it's a real struggle. It's it's really hard to think, you know, like why are they giving us these vaccines if they don't actually work? Like, would, <laughs> would somebody actually do that? Like, would somebody do that and and like hurt people that bad? And the answer is yes, and you and I understand that. But most people, when you present to them, look, they're they're giving you shitty vaccines because they're going to make a lot of money. Uh, they're just, like most people, are like no, like how. How could somebody be that evil? And like, this is the problem. This isn't a conversation we can have with somebody who's engaging in this. All you will get is prattle and excuses out of it. There's never a point where they go, oh my goodness, you're right. I'm evil. Dang. Um, You know, and so to me, this is much more of a question about what do we do now that we see this going on? We acknowledge it with each other and we have a tool to fight it. And essentially, like, this is where this political gets activated is by us finding each other and saying, yeah, we're going to put all of our wealth in Bitcoin and we're going to use this as our means and mode to resist this at this point in time. And this is this core sort of what we would call a non-political aspect of Bitcoin that I think is the most political thing that there is. The fact that I can take my wealth and put it in a system that doesn't participate or reward their system in any meaningful way. And frankly, by withdrawing my wealth from their system and putting in this other one, uh, I'm in, I'm both making their system weaker and empowering my system. And one of the things that's the most exciting for me is, uh, you know, Gremsham's law has taught us that Bitcoin is, you know, our subjective storage of value. It's a one-way street. We'll never convert to anything else. And there's more and more people joining us every day and dropping out of the other system. So, like, this is all just a question of time and how quick we can do it. You know, is this going to take five years or is it going to take 15 or 50 um, and I don't have the answer, and I think a lot of it's going to be both about how much the system accelerates and pushes back against us, and how much we greet, greet that and raise the standard of how we want to approach it. Uh, like I said, again, I'm not an organizational guy. I'm, I'm not interested in creating the Orange Party, but if somebody wants to take that on and ram it forward, good luck, man. I, I hope it works. I think we have intellect on our side. I mean, I don't want to sound too pompous or... Confident, dude. Like having been in Bitcoin and met more Bitcoiners, interacted with more Bitcoiners, and worked with more, and they're truly some of the the people that think the most critically that I've ever met in my life. And I think if you have that on your side, uh, it's at least uh, a massive benefit. Obviously, we have a massive uh, enemy to to defeat in, in the state and a, not only this state but a, a massively bloated state with a lot of weapons uh, but i think i think we do have the the critical thinking and argument skills the rhetorical skills to actually defeat this um i think we can win the hearts and minds i think we are and uh, what you were mentioning earlier too, you're basically just describing like people don't want to think that these people can be evil. And again, that's the greatest trick the devil ever played was making people believe that he didn't exist. Right. And that is people don't believe the, the spirituality of you describing Nietzsche. God is dead. Like he's been driven out of, of society and, and therefore the devil has too. So people just don't have the, the concept of good or evil on top of their minds anymore. They, it's, it's, like, it's been normalized. Evil has been, it's pervasive and it's been normalized for many decades, like you mentioned. And similar, like the monetary system. I was born in the 90s. I was like, oh, and the dollar existed. And for most of my life, I was like, oh, this is money. This is the way it should always be until I found Bitcoin. 
Well, I'm like with with this death of God, like uh, so so God both moves away from us, but it also frees us in this way. Like, oh, like science is this tool that we can like randomly play with. And because these guys don't have any consideration of evil, they like build an atomic bomb and they're like, oh, shit, like that, like killed a bunch of people, you know. And and I think we have a lot of this same thing, you know, with uh, quote unquote scientists with the virus, you know, like they 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 play with this gain of function thing. The potentiality of it to escape from the lab happen. You know, I'm like they end up participating in the destruction of humanity. Uh, and it's not like because they're out there like, ha, 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 I want to be evil. No, they're just fucking dumb. And like they're not thinking about this stuff at all. Um, and, and to me, like one of the most revealing things about this, is I remember early on at Coinbase, we used to have different people come in and lecture and we had this AI startup come in and lecture. Um, you know, my team's full of like a bunch of paranoid anti-status people. So like they're, <laughs> they're automatically getting to questions about, you know, like, like, uh, like a, autonomous kill bots and that kind of shit. And so they, they like ask a similar question about this, but like, you know, what happens if it, go, it gets autonomous and goes rogue and like, he wants to go kill a bunch of people and I shit, you know, the guy was like, no, I've never really thought much about that. <laughs> Next question. And it's just like, holy shit. Uh, and I and like, same thing. Like, I think these guys that are out working for Boston Dynamics, like creating kill robots, you're like, hey, like, what if people start using this to like kill humans? And I think they'd just be like, oh, no, pe- people wouldn't do that. And like, that's just the end of the fucking story for them. Um, and, and same thing goes with finance, like with... All of these things that you would think people would think harder about this. Like, I very sincerely think if you got to go into the Board of Governors and sit down with them and be like, hey, guys, like, you guys just printed an absolute fuck ton of money. Like, could this, is it possible that this could have effects that are longer than transitory inflation? I almost guarantee all of them would be like, absolutely not. No possible way. We can control it. I mean, it's all hubris. Again, getting back to the spiritual nature of it, Bitcoin has pushed me. And I've very been very public about this on this podcast. Like closer to Christ, I grew up Catholic. All the Ditlin forced me away from it, but now it's like we need we need these types of forces of good in our lives. And and the hubris that you just described, whether it be via financial engineering, via engineering of AI or or, or robotics or gain of function viruses. Like the gain of function virus, like working on gain of function, like thinking that you can be God, <laughs> that you can change genes and do that and not have repercussions and negative externalities is mind blowing and scary. And like Vitalik Buterin yesterday tweeting about uh, synthetic uh, wombs that, oh, that, that to, to create uh, pay wa- <laughs> wage equality between men and women. Women should not give birth anymore. We should have synthetic wombs instead. It's like, how it just, we're being dehumanized dehumanized in in real life uh, again i think it's an evil, yeah it's, i would call it an evil force yeah i, I don't want to deny it. it is an evil force i what i'm trying to point out is that the individuals engaging it they can't recognize that you know and like it's just prattle and that's why there's like never this moment of like deep confession and them like coming to understand what's happening and that's that's the banality of evil that like it doesn't have the ability to recognize itself uh, and I think it's really funny because guys like Vitalik are such a perfect representation of it because, like, all the shit he said about the womb, like, he believes that. And, like, he doesn't even consider these, like, tertiary affects that could happen from it. Um, and I, I had an interesting exchange with him a few years ago about he was talking about, like, living forever and how, like, how great that was. And I think I really just, like, postulated the question of, like, don't you think that 
there's some like pretty serious problems that could happen from a class of people that like live forever and you know like new people are trying to be born into the world you know and same thing just like no like no not a problem at all uh and yeah it's this hubris you know and like uh it's really important to understand like even if you're the most intelligent person in the world and you have this hubris that you believe that you're absolutely right about something, you're now precluding the possibility that you're wrong. And, you know, frankly, this is how a lot of our governments operate and how, uh, at least in my experience working with engineers, a lot of times engineers can think that they're not wrong about what they're doing. Um, and actually really funny, like, Working at a Bitcoin company uh, on the operational side, dealing with engineering, like this was a pretty common thing that would happen. I would have a conversation with an engineer about some sort of bug or problem that was coming up and being produced. And they would just kind of deny that it was possible because of the way that they built it. Uh, and I find that same line of thinking gets applied to uh, a lot of these things in the world that, that we find are evil. And a lot of times it's because uh, there's this dislocated process that doesn't allow for them to actually think in any kind of an ethical position. Uh, and it's really dangerous. And I think there's now a whole class of people like yourself and myself that are not only awakening to that, but the way that like, yeah, it's ontological. Cause like we're, we're asking, well, like how does Bitcoin have this value and how does it proposition itself and why does it do it that way? And like, how does it, how do these things reflect on me and why is it, important to me and what do I want to give these things to other people uh, and I just find it so fascinating because it's clearly unlocking this extremely powerful and potent aspect inside of each of us and making us not only more powerful and more valuable to the world uh, but like we sit better and more right with ourselves so much so to the extent that like uh, you know I think if you and me found ourselves in cages imprisoned by the state for our beliefs in Bitcoin uh and like, you know, we're essentially to stay there and or die for it. I, I don't think that that would be the worst thing for us to happen. And I actually, you know, at least speaking for myself, uh, it would be a sacrifice that I would feel content with myself, that that is how I would move on from the world. Um, not to say I would meet it with, with courageousness and bravery. I hope I would. But it gives me something that I care enough about that I, I would, I guess I'd say I would die for it, you know. And I say that because... This is extremely important to me for my children. I demand that they grow up in a world that is better than the one that was offered to us and that we at least are fighting back and pushing back against these unilateral evil forces and what they represent. Uh, and that's worth struggling for. Um, you know, I was talking to my wife about this before is that like stuff is fucked up and it is hard. Uh, it really is. But it it it's kind of exciting though and like yeah, yeah, it and is. it's exciting because we we have this we see what's coming down the pipeline and it's not to say that there isn't scary shit but it's more that like we can stand up and like lift our shield and there's other dudes like next to us to the right and left who are like yeah like fuck these unilateral you know world economic form asshats that want to implement this shit like let's fight together and fight back uh and it's just beautiful, you know, particularly like, uh, you know, like when I met Gigi in Miami, it was just like an immediate like hug <laughs> and like, all right, like we're here to do this together and like, fuck it. And it was just like an immediate recognition. Like, yes, we, we are one in the same for our cause and what we want to do. Um, 
And it's just, it's exciting. It, 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 it has created this force of, um, I don't want to say unlimited energy, but like, I feel like I can keep reaching down in this thing and the way that it rejuvenates and nourishes me to like, keep going. And I assume you probably get the same thing for, for, you know, each time you fire up the podcast and that you listen to these great points where you're just like, fuck yeah. It just like nourishes you in this way that you're like, I'm ready to go back for more. Yeah. I mean, exactly what you said. Like I want to leave somebody with a son sleeping in the room right behind this monitor and I'm pointing past uh, another child on the way later this year. Like it is an imperative and I think I would die for Bitcoin too. I do think it is uh, a a cause worthy of self-sacrifice if it ever got to that point. I do not want to die for Bitcoin. I I will make that clear as well. I don't want to be sent to a cage because of um, uh, my activity in Bitcoin and my advocacy of Bitcoin, I do want to be a free man who's able to enjoy uh, my life with my family. However, like you said, I mean, if it does come to it, like it's going to suck in some regards. And I hope I do have courage and bravery and, uh, and, and some composure if it ever does happen. But um, I, I don't. I would not like it to happen. But yeah, like, I mean, it, this is this is bigger than all of us. Uh, I don't think people really grasp that yet. And that's evident in the fact that they don't grasp the severity of the, the federal government and the, the uh, Davos class overreach into our everyday lives. They don't understand the problems with that. How could they understand the, the gravity of, of Bitcoin um, as a tool to, to fight back against that impending doom? Yeah, uh, it's... And like you said, like Vitalik and people building the robotics, they just don't ask the hard question. They don't even think about these things. Like Vitalik with the the synthetic feed or uh, synthetic uh, womb tweet yesterday, like just speaking on behalf of all women, saying, "Oh yeah, they like this better." Like, and then my wife, she's five months pregnant right now, and she's developing a relationship with the baby. Like, she has a very chemical and emotional connection with, with the, the human growing in her womb right now. Like if you were to just have the hubris to think that you can replicate that with a synthetic womb, it's like people are fucking insane. Well, and the, the, the way he just like completely dismisses of the idea of like what it means to be a mother. Um, <laughs> like, like I, I find that astounding. But, you know, like perhaps there's a reason that like a baby literally grows inside of another human being who like loves it profoundly and deeply. (laughs) Maybe that's, maybe that has something to do with the human condition. I don't, I don't know, you know, well, no, like, you know, I'm like, uh, like just the idea of a baby growing up in a tube isolated by itself. Like, I just don't understand how you can look at that and be like, yeah, that feels all right. Well, I mean, it's, well, it's already being normalized in other areas. Like we're growing lab meat. Like that's another thing of hubris. Like, oh yeah, we can just grow our uh, our meat in a petri dish, and we'll get the same nourishment. There's, it's we figured out nature. We can we can engineer it. Which my, is my dad invested in 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 this beyond meat shit, and I was uh, like, what the fuck are you doing? And he was like, oh well, it's like great for the planet and healthy, and 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 I was like. Dude, like you, so you sincerely believe that growing whatever this shit is in a lab and like all of the tertiary processes around that, that production, you know, all the lab equipment, all the plastic, like everything, that this is somehow better than a 
calf being born and eating grass and then us slaughtering and eating. Like that's somehow better for the environment. And it was just like, yeah. And to me, like, this is the shit where it's just like, okay. Um, so we're very deep into Plato's case. You think that the shadows on the wall are absolutely real. And when I present to you that they could be shadows on the wall, you guys, like, laugh at me and throw garbage at me. Okay. Um, shit. And, and in all honesty, like, I think that this is part of this astrological process of building. Is that, like, as we get stronger, the state's going to push back harder. They're going to demand more things from it. And it's just going to keep building and building and building. Eventually to this place that, like, uh, for me, like, I realize, like, I just can't talk about anything political to my mom anymore. Because, like, we, we, just, we don't have words or language to be able to get past anything. It, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's really painful because I feel like we, we, like, fall into these ruts that the mainstream media has created that, like, I don't have any a way to, like, escape from the dialogue. And, like, as I try to escape from the dialogue, they're like, oh, like, you're saying, like, all of the far-right crazy people stuff. And I'm like, no, oh, God. Um, and I just really emphasize that point because it's really scary. And I think it's very true that, like, we're, we're going to find there's several relationships that we have where people uh, are going to be unwilling to move forward with us anymore. Um, and for a long time, that was really, really painful for me. But then I, like, met other Bitcoiners, and it was finally like, oh, thank God. I don't... I don't need these other people in my personal life to understand all this stuff about. Um, and yeah, I think as, I think what we see coming down the pipeline, it's all going to happen. And like, we're in the lifeboat, we're going to be good. We're going to create our Bitcoin communities and Citadels and, and, you know, take care of each other. But a lot of people out there are going to suffer really profoundly. And uh, I hope we will, you know, keep positions open in the lifeboat for them, keep building our content and education. And furthermore, you know, it's pretty clear to me that we're part of this uh, vanguardist part of Bitcoin and that our job is to be educating and creating content and helping people. And that's just going to continue to get more powerful and better. Uh, and I really think that as it progresses and moves forward and escalates, uh, each encounter is going to push us and drive us deeper into the direction that we're going. And I think it, it, it's absolutely inevitable because of how there's this other class of people that are absolutely willing to participate in the state's terror and totalitarianism campaign, and they don't see anything wrong with it at all. No. I go back and forth with this too. Like, So do you think there's it's necessary to have direct conflict with the state? And there's a Bitcoin side. Like, have you read the the Benedict option and basically about how mm -hmm. um, back after the fall of Rome, uh, the Benedict, like where the Benedictine monks started, they went out to the woods and created monitor, essentially like citadels and they just ran parallel societies as Rome fell and inside the, the monastery um, was life was good. Quality of life was good. And that people were getting back to like low time preference and good values that had, were completely driven out of Roman culture by the end of the empire there. Um, I think that's what's happening now with Bitcoin. You can describe it as the Benedict option. We're going, taking the ball and just playing over here in this parallel system. Uh, just leave us alone. Uh, others would describe it as like a digital cult. Um, is it necessary to 
have a direct conflict? Like, can, like, is there a possibility in which we make the Bitcoin network so robust, so resilient, and then build a distributed economy on top of that where it's you know, just honestly a better product where the, the zombies who have been lied to and lied to again and again by the state uh, and the political class and the corporate class and the media class in the incumbent system finally just see like, hey, it looks better over there. Why don't we just go play over there? I, I honestly think that there's a whole segment of people that like, like literally as they're getting like kicked into like open aired fire pits that they burn alive in, that they'll still look over us and be like, man, the Bitcoiners, like they're, they're why I'm in here getting kicked into this, this ditch. Um, and yeah, I think the Benedict option is the best, you know, like, uh, me and one of my good friends, like we're essentially trying to like work on like, uh, like a private key liturgy that's like executed through a, a group process with people to try to, to secure uh, your Bitcoin essentially like through an actual religious practice that you would do with a, a, a group of other Bitcoiners. Uh, who knows how long it'll take me to develop that. But I think running this parallel society is really our only hope. Uh, in addition to the fact that I, I, I think that's also where we cultivate like all of the good shit inside of ourselves um, and I think, uh, conflict with the state's inevitable, not because we want it, but because, uh, like, this is what the state does. It like identifies enemies and it, like labels as an enemy and then tries to destroy it. Uh, with that being said, you know, the article five option that I put forward before, uh, and with states integrating it directly inside of themselves as legal tender, I think is probably the best option for transition, um, and I think that also essentially kind of recreates the worlds so that like we get Cold War 2.0, uh, you know, electric Bitcoin is the, the subtitle for that. And, and it's going to be essentially about, you know, who is on a Bitcoin standard, who is on a fiat standard, how this neo mercantilist global economy is going to play with it, each other. Uh, and obviously fiat's going to lose because of what it represents and how it is produced in the world. But it can probably last for quite a while. Well, that's, I mean, the economist, macro analyst to me is like, how, how long, especially if this inflation isn't transitory, like at what point, like I described earlier, as it happens at this point this year where you have a social tipping point, right? Because the, the inflationary events are, are two parts, obviously, money supply and expanding. Uh, is certainly part of inflation, but there's also the social part of it too, where especially if you're running a fiat currency, the confidence in the efficacy of that currency is supreme, uh, supremely uh, a prerequisite for it even being functional. Like like if inflation stays high for the next six, seven months, and we see that Biden still can't speak, Jerome Powell doesn't have the answers, Uh, nobody has the answers like to people because it it is inevitable like fiat is going to die there is going to need to be a replacement for it and that's why I think Bitcoin is actually at a supreme advantage here because it's had 13 years it's a teenager has been able to position itself like hey we sort of called this um, and in the meantime now 13 years into Bitcoin you have all the central banks of the world and, and governments around the world the EU particularly beginning to posture like they're going to launch CBDCs and they're going to try and transition from the, the fiat system that they've erected and run for the last however many years and, and just create this new hyper-controlled fiat system and so it's 
positioning Bitcoin. Like, hey, Bitcoin's been around, it's been successful, uh, and it is uh, directly in confrontation with the fiat system that's failed. Are you going to uh, continue letting the people who created this failed system push you into another one, or are you going to opt out? Um, and that was just like a weird ramble. There, uh, but. I mean, I would really hope that we would be like, hey, check out our track record over the last 13 years. And people would be like, wow, yeah, like, okay. Um, they're so good at spin, though. I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is they'll be like, hyperinflation is here. And like, it's all the Bitcoiners' fault because they want to waste energy on their system. <laughs> but, but guess what? Because the government loves you, we're going to give you $500 a CBD coin for free. And this is how we implement the new system. And we're going to give you your allowance of $500 every month now because we love you. Um, and people will be like, yeah, and like, fuck those Bitcoiners. They, they cause for hyperinflation and they're stealing all of our energy and they're taking all the meat. Uh, and like, I, I just think it's inevitable. That, that we wind up as the enemy here because in the exact same way that the wealthy class always ends up as the enemy to the communist class, that's what's happening. Um, and with that being said, I, I think that there's a number of both governors and you know state leaders that are going to get what's going on and make the choice to move to a Bitcoin standard. And like that's our exit. And those are the places we have to go and... The economies of those places are going to have real growth. They're going to be on a Bitcoin standard. They're going to be export-led economies that are absolutely killing it because they've figured out how to do it. And meanwhile, elsewhere in America, you know, you're going to have, uh, you know, like trains are going to be ransacked and like, you know, every other car is going to have a security guard with a shotgun. And I actually think we're going to descend into like some pretty nasty shit in cities where uh there's just like roving gangs kind of stealing stuff because that's okay at this point in time uh and it's scary but you know like i'm happy that i'm out in the middle of fucking nowhere so uh, i'm i'm good but uh, i fear for my friends that are still in cities and places and yeah i i and i i really appreciate how much more hopeful you are i i just i think after 10 years <laughs> of doing this and how many people i've tried to convince like uh, people that really should get this, you know, and I'm telling them about it. And there's this thing about actually making the subjective choice to have Bitcoin be your savings that like, it's like accepting Christ as your Lord and savior. Like yeah. I can tell you about how fucking great he is and how much I want it for you and how much you're welcome. But if you don't want it, I, I, I can't, I can't force you. Yeah. But that's maybe because that's, and I, I I feel this as well. But maybe it's, humans are so fucking weird. We're so social, and maybe that's just because we're telling these people they're like, "Fuck you, Marty. Fuck you, Eric. Like you're my boy. You're the crazy cousin. You're the crazy family member. Like I'm not going to trust you." Maybe they need somebody like a Jordan Peterson coming out, a Pierre uh, Polivare, uh, how to repronounce his last name, up in Canada, Rogan. When do you, is there? Like, I think like once you get like the athletes. Uh, start pumping it too it just becomes like normalized and then uh, acceptable uh, because you have the culture telling you that it's acceptable uh, which for some reason or another normies really depend on that that social cue from from people they put on pedestals 
I, I, I hope so. It's funny when you're talking, I realize that like I've always lived outside of the Overton windows. So, like, <laughs> I don't know what it's like on the inside. And so it makes it, you know, and like, I really hope that 20 years from now, like, you know, I'll be talking to my kids and they'll be like, wow, dad, like you got in on this shit early. And like, and let their, their question will be like, how did you know it, dad? Their question will be like, how was everybody so fucking dumb? Dad? <laughs> and I'll be like, Oh, well, you know, like when we get in these big groups of people and we like lie to each other constantly, like you just believe the fucking lie. And we'll be like, that's weird. man." Well, it is weird. Like think about it. Like most humans are living a lie. And that's it. That's the other thing too. I think that's part of the inability for people to be receptive to Bitcoin. They're, whole life's been a sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> it's been built yeah, on... Yeah, <laughs> well, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to look at that and be like, oh, shit, I'm I'm the baddie. Let's just put that away and not look at well, it. Well, it's not even that I'm the baddie. It's just that I I truly don't understand how the world works. And I think I've been, I've been around for decades now and I, I just have not understood the the nature of the world and the mechanics of the world, the economy, uh, the political system that has been erected around us that I was thrust into. Uh, I've just been passively playing along as, as I've been getting played my whole life. People don't want to admit that. I mean, we're seeing it right now with the vaccines. Like, <laughs> fourth, fourth news. Yeah, I mean, the vaccine is the best. But yeah, we can see this throughout society. I mean, college degrees is another great one. Uh, you know, God damn, the list just goes on and on. And yeah, it is a total sunk cost fallacy of that, you know, I, I'm a smart person. I got this master's degree in art history and I should be an art historian making lots of money now because that's what I was told about the world. But it's just not true. Um, yeah, and the same thing goes from our politicians. We've been lied to them for so long and so consistently about everything. I, it, it's, I'm just really alarmed that, you know, like I... I have these conversations with people about the vaccines and vaccine passports and about government overreach. And uh, I have a hard time just not flipping out at this point in time because, you know, like my, my, my bachelor's degree is in history and I specifically studied European history in World War II. So I'm very well read on the Holocaust. Uh, and, I, and I just like freak the fuck out when I start talking to people about this and being like, yeah, like, the, you know, the United States is has never told people they were giving them vaccines and was actually like injecting them with toxins. Like that's never happened. And they're like, yeah. And then I just scream. I'm like, no, I'm being fucking facetious. You assholes. Look at the Tuskegee fucking experiments that happened. You know, I'm like, let's let the list keep going on and on. And I think the honest truth is, is that, uh, like the, what we're talking about is horrifying. It is so, so, so horrifying that I think the moment people start looking towards that, they have to look away. It's, it's, it's too hard, you know? And to me, like, this is part of what, uh, like woke liberalism is about is about wanting soft and nice and kind to everybody and modifying all of our behavior to do that. Uh, but they're actually being a very, very deep insincerity about not understanding or looking at those things in a more critical aspect. It's much more about how we feel than what the truth is. Which is again making the sunk cost fallacy even worse. You're just you're just compounding the lie there. Like you're not getting to any sense of of reality at the core of what like the woke movement is. Like you're, you're 
And that's the thing. The, like, the woke movement is a communist movement at the end of the day because it, it completely eliminates the individual. You're a black person, a white person, a BIPOC. There's no room for individuality in, in that um, in that worldview, if you will, which is actually extremely racist when you think about it. It is. And I think it's so funny of that. Uh, we're just at this really fucking weird place uh, in the development of society where like, um, like specifically here in the United States, we have this really weird amalgam of like, uh, like a corporo communism. Uh, and it's just, it's really strange. And the way that the left latched onto, it, I found like fascinating, you know, like Coca-Cola with like their, their like gay <laughs> bottles and stuff. And like, all, you know, people are like, oh my God, like Coca-Cola like loves gay people. Like, this is great. And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking great. Like it totally makes up for them. Like, uh, killing union workers in South America, right? Like, it just makes it better. And they're like, uh, are you, I don't understand because this is good. And I'm like, okay, like, now that you're with me, like, do you think maybe that they're presenting that they love these gay people as a way to wash over all the other horrific shit that they did? And people are like, um, no, no, that's not it. Um, and to me, like, this is the place that it's constantly disappointing, is that you... Or, well, and even better, with, specifically with the woke stuff, like, I find it hilarious that, like, the, the left is just getting absolutely fucked on the <laughs> standards and things that they think are valuable. You know, like, what, you know, wealth disparity. Like, really big problem. We should actually be focused on it. Uh, like, you guys are so focused on uh, the pronouns that I'm choosing that you guys forget that, like... Wealth was redistributed from the bottom 90% to the top 90% to the tune of $2.3 trillion over the last two years. But, you know, I, I, I'm i making sure that you feel comfortable with whatever pronouns I'm putting out there are. So I guess we're winning, right? Yeah, I mean, we've got a transgender health minister who looks very unhealthy. We've got a woke military now. We're doing okay. We're, we're solving all these hard problems. Hey, the Coke's going to put a rainbow flag on their cans as they kill gay people via diabetes with their their end product at the end of the day. I think it's it's a very sick society, but it's right. Like that's the other thing that pisses me off. Again, going back to the hypocrisy of the world. Like, and, and obviously, you know, I I've been a big anti ESG proponent. I don't believe there's a climate crisis. I don't believe the world's going to end. I believe humans being able to harness energy uh, is one of the the things that has gotten us to where we are today. We can only you know, live stream this this conversation to the internet on multiple platforms at the same time because of humans' incredible ability to extract, harness, and uh, turn energy into electricity. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, we should be uh, as environmentally conscious in the sense that we should not waste anything, we should not pollute anything. However, we should keep continuing to produce more energy uh, and electricity for humanity because that is what uplifts people from poverty. And it's hilarious that like the woke who care about the poor and downtrodden uh, third world countries are pushing a, an overt, an overtly uh, reduct or re like the energy policy that they're putting forward is going to revert us back to pre-industrial age society in terms of the ability to harness and, and leverage electricity, which hurts 
poor people, people in developing countries the most. Like they are the most affected by this, this terrible policy. And that is like now I'm thinking like, if you can't recognize this, like it's making me very pessimistic too. Like they're, they're, they're going to continue to double down well, on all this stupidity. I, and I mean, like it, it, it's the hubris again, you know, like it, it's, uh, they can't consider that maybe their approach to how they're doing this is just all wrong from top to bottom. Uh, and it's, it's really frustrating because when these kind cause you know, these conversations obviously direct themselves towards me and pretty quick on like the Bitcoin idiot list of questions is like, but, but it wastes energy. So like it's bad. Right. And like, again, I want to rip all my hair out and scream. Cause I'm like, okay, like what's good energy and what's bad energy? Like, how do we make this assessment? Who makes this assessment? Like if we're so concerned about energy, like why aren't we building more nuclear power plants for like clean energy in places, you know, like, and it's just really frustrating and difficult because uh, to me, like, I keep coming back to this conclusion that, like, this is really just about authoritarianism. And, like, the people that they like told them that this was the correct answer, so they move forward that, like, this must just be the correct answer. Um, and, and, and it's frustrating because, yeah, like, this obviously is already hurting people. Like, look at energy prices in Europe at this point in time. There are literally people that are freezing their ass off right now because they can't afford energy because of the policies that have been implemented around this. Um, and again, like, I'm not some person that's like, let's go out and destroy the world. In fact, you know, like, I live in a redwood forest. I'm, I'm working on purchasing a large portion of redwood forest in order to protect it at this point in time. Like, this is something really important to me but if we're not approaching this stuff from first principles using actual logic, and again, just going back to what feels good, we're inevitably going to run into these same conclusions and problems where like, we're not actually addressing what's going on. Um, and it's, it's really alarming because this is how I think this whole thing escalates. And I think it's, it's, it's how it rips its mask off the end and all of this becomes eschatological because I think at the very end, it turns out it's just raw and pure authoritarianism. State of emergency enacted. Do whatever the fuck we say because we have the power and we're telling you to. Period. Um, and I think as all of this plays out, like Bitcoin's going to be this only way that we have to actually escape. You know, uh, I, I saw on Twitter that you know Bitcoin Bull has been helping a lot of Canadians sell their houses and get their get Bitcoin so that they can get out. Uh, if we brought that up five years ago, you know, like people would say that that's, that's pretty, that's crazy. That would never happen in a place like Canada and lo and behold, here we are. Uh, and let that be a warning to Americans as well. Yes. Let's not turn I mean, m many parts of America are just as bad <laughs> as Canada right now. Uh, I'm in one of them. Yeah. But it's like, so how have we become so detached from logic as a society? Like, do you think, do you believe in the, the methodical uh, overt action taken at like the, the education level of things in, in American society specifically that there has been a concerted effort to dumb down uh, the masses via the curriculum so that they can't critically think so that an authoritarian overtaking is, is much easier because people are, are willing to take what an authority figure tells them and run with it. Uh, I mean, that that's a key component, but like there, there's just a, a whole constellation of things working on us all at the same time. And so 
like education is one of them, but uh, the decline of culture, you know, like the the lack of fathers and household, you know, it, it's an amalgam of all of these things together. Um, and it's really dangerous because this has created an ideology where essentially the state is our caretaker. And in more extreme circumstances, the state is God itself. Um, this is why we have to listen to the state. This is why people believe the state has what's uh, what's right for us at, at their core. Um, and I think also that the extrication of any sort of uh, sort of spiritual thought, I, I don't know, like it, it, it's all like a very, very sick process because like the hubris has so much to do with it and the being able to try to assert and force yourself through things, um, the desire to try to please others, to be nice, uh, to get all these good feelings. Um, but, you know, Ed, like my kids don't go to a public school and they never will. Uh, and, and yeah, like it's really dangerous what they teach there. Um, and like one of the things that, that, like one of the reasons I made that decision is like I never wanted to have a time where my kids came home and asked me questions about things where I needed to like backpedal and, and have to like explain myself and like why I'm, I'm, I'm somebody that's not doing all of the right stuff or listening to the right people. Um, and it's really scary because that, that happens to a lot of people where their kids are turned against them. Um, and, you know, they, like it's funny because, like, you know, my kid missed a bunch of school last year because of the pandemic thing. He's missed a whole bunch this this last year. Uh, he's a really smart kid, though. He's reading super well. You know, we go out and play in the forest all day. He can identify dozens of mushrooms and trees, you know, can tell me about all kinds of stuff. And so like, I, I'm no longer concerned with him getting like a quote unquote education. I realize he's just a smart kid who, who's going to be able to figure the world out. Uh, and I think it's really important if you've got kids to like insulate them from that stuff. Like you, you would be horrified to see the kind of shit that, that uh, is being pushed out to kids through the public school system as this great thing that they need to know about, you know, like I, um, yeah, and like, there's nothing wrong about like explaining how kids' sexualities work and, and the differences between them. But it's really hard for you know to have a kid come home and and ask about you know the intimacy between two men when you haven't even gone over the intimacy of a man and a woman. Um, and furthermore, like not trying to create a space or a place for people to actually have a thoughtful conversation about that in their own family. Um, and I guess ultimately, you know, bring back to the question of, of about education uh when we try to just frame education as this like holistic thing that anybody can get of course you're going to get this this fucked up authoritarian response of the answer to things is the correct one that you've been given to the teacher as opposed to actually seeking out the truth for the right answer and so yeah i think it starts really early and then i think Literally everything in society wants us to respond to it in this way, as opposed to a self-sovereign and thoughtful individual. So I think it's really inevitable that, that we descend into a place where raw authoritarianism sort of replaces critical thought on a whole. Uh, and it's pretty scary because, you know, trying to recover that uh, is extremely difficult. Well, it's particularly scary in this day and age because it seems like it's happening on a global level. And 
many instances in history's past where similar situations have arisen, it seems to be at least somewhat isolated to um, the empire of the day, if you will. But what we're experiencing today, minus a few parts of the world, is is, is pretty global, it seems, which is yeah. very, very frightening thought, like a, a globally enslaved uh, populace that is just subjected to this international, supranational, authoritarian blob that, that has been forming via like NATO, G8, whatever the fuck it's called these days, World Economic Forum, those, those types of entities. Yeah, and I want to highlight like that's, that's the unique proposition of our current age. Uh, and it's extremely dangerous because like it is unique outside of any other time in human history because it can capture everyone. And once it captures everyone, there isn't going to be any possible way to extricate ourselves from it. Um, and again, like this is why I believe that Bitcoin is actually messianic because it seems to be the only thing that has the possibility to actually fight back and break the back of this thing. Um, you know, and, and it's not just because it has only that potential, but as you and I have both experienced, the way that we reflect on it, the way it changes us, the way it makes us better people, and the way that it wants us to create community and build together and thrive together uh, is, in my opinion, the much more important inflection on it. Um, you know, and it, it's not so much, uh, and I think I have this quoted from Walter Benjamin, like, the Messiah does not arrive as the redeemer, but as the vanquisher of the Antichrist. <laughs> like, again, I get these uh, are, are daunting prospects, but I look at this global panoptic biometric ID system that seems to be the Antichrist. And it seems to represent unitary evil in a way that uh, I, I actually can't think of anything that captures the idea of unitary evil even better. Uh, and I think it's really important to understand how absolutely dangerous it is to try to have a global identification system that all states have access to. Like, you know, it, it, it's really important to understand the relationship between technology and the Holocaust, you know, and, and the way that uh, the Nazi regime was able to label and identify all of the Jews through the explicit data sets that they had. And, you know, not just the Jews, but the Romans, the Gypsies, the, the gays, the, you know, all the people that they wanted to eliminate. They did this with data. You know, it wasn't just them going out and finding random people and throwing them in prison. Them explicitly identifying them through censuses and, and all sorts of other modes of data that they were able to gather. You know, and the fact that they did that a hundred years ago should be pretty alarming about how much data they already have on everybody else and what they're eventually going to do with it. Um, you know, and I, I, I know we're probably preaching to the choir here, but I guess one of the questions to that we should ask ourselves for moving forward is how do we how do we truly electrify this in such a way that we activate the political that clearly lives inside of Bitcoin that's waiting? Uh, and like, again, I'm not saying a political party. I'm not saying an electoral process, but this idea of a movement that's already started and really cultivating it so that uh, we become a powerful force in the world and we can recognize other people that are participating in it and we can continue to build on that together. Because I think we're very close to it, and I think it's really just 
a point of asking the question and going deeper with each other on how we'll build that. I think it's happening. I think we're, we're in the, it's the process is well underway, like you mentioned. Uh, I, I mean, just me personally, on the mining side, I've advised, again, I'm really pushing this permanent fund, like two states. Like I've talked to people at state levels, like who have a lot of resources and states that are particularly not fond of the federal government and their ban on uh, new mineral leases on federal land. I mean, they, they, that materially affected a lot of economies uh, in the United States and they're trying to figure out how to do it. Bitcoin permanent funds. Like, so if I'm having conversations with uh, people at, at this level, there are many other conversations from other actors in the Bitcoin space happening. So there is uh, at least the beginnings of influence and, and the influence only being conversations and putting the ideas forward at this point in time. But there, I think there will be action against it. And I think the energy is the most important part. That's why I've decided to focus a lot of pun intended at my energy um, on the mining space and the confluence with the energy sector. Because I think once, again, the energy sector, even though it's much maligned right now because people are fucking stupid and don't understand how we've been provided this quality of yeah. life that we have today. Um, I think once Bitcoin gets integrated into the stack of an energy company, it's game over. Like the energy is the base of our modern society. And if you go to the, the energy producers and you say, no, you can't use Bitcoin, but they're like, no, it actually really helps us do what we do best, which is deliver energy to market. It's going to be hard for politicians to try to shut that down. I mean, like, uh, uh, I'm more excited about the changes that are going to come to the mining sector than I have been about anything else in Bitcoin thus far. Uh, just because it's engaging in a true Schumpterian creative destruction that like, it's not just trying to make the energy industry more effective or, or better at what it's doing. Like it is striking at the core of the way that we understand how energy production and dissemination is done. And that's so important because like this compels and drives forward the ability for us to have access to a greater amount of energy. And it turns out if we want to actually be a society that makes it into space and utilizes space, te space technology in a meaningful way, we're going to need an absolute motherfuck ton of energy. And the only way to get a market-based response to develop that is going to be through Bitcoin. Uh, and it's just, it's really, really exciting to see that space happening. Uh, and it's also really exciting to see how absolutely brain-dead blind most people are to it. And... Uh, that's the thing I get with the POW conversations over and over again is just how there is absolutely zero understanding for how energy markets work. And furthermore, how there's an absolute relegation of responsibility and authority to understanding that to talking heads that are beyond clueless and are just parroting talking points that they're given by the WDF or whoever else. Um, so I'm happy that you're spending your energy there and that more and more people are focused on it because uh, to me, like this is where the Americanism of what Bitcoin can be comes into play as well. Is states using it as ways to, to shore up their treasuries, uh, there being competing laboratories of approaches to it. Um, and ultimately, I hope that this can contribute to a Soviet-style dissolution of the United States at some point in time where instead of us having a really nasty fucking civil war, 
we're able to just say, hey, you know what? It dissolves. The federal government is bankrupt. They're going to sell off all their assets to the various states, and the states will make the decision about what they'll do moving forward. I'm very bullish on that. I mean, I think we're seeing the, the beginning process of that play out right now the last two years with the exodus out of California, New York, Illinois to Texas, Florida, Montana, Wyoming, wherever it may be. Uh, I think I think it's happening. And, and again, I hope it happens this way because that's the most peaceful revolution. And I sort of think, like, I'm bullish on it. Again, I see more, I'm optimistic uh, today. I'm feeling optimistic. Like, I'm just optimistic. Like, just look at the motherfuckers. Look at the people. That, look at Klaus Schwab. Look at Biden. Look at Nancy Pelosi. Like, they're old and decrepit and dying. They're skeletons. It's like, mm-hmm. like, they're going to die soon. And I don't see, like outside of like Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, we have Beto, AOC, obviously the core four or whatever. It's like a few of them, but I don't see like a very galvanized uh, upshoot political class that's, that's going to be replacing these these incumbent skeletons that are completely fucking up the world right now. Like I think I think they, I think it dies with a dud. They just like people are like literally we can't listen to you because you have dementia and you're you don't you're not even making sense right now. And they just like go back to I mean states' rights. It's funny. It's really funny that that like this is this is how dislocated and wild that we've gotten. There's like an actual man with dementia like running the United <laughs> States, and like there's all these other like eighty year old geriatrics who are probably like secretly wearing diapers because they can't control their bowels anymore, and that like they legitimately represent like you know more than a half million people for the most powerful country on the planet. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely wild. Uh, and I really hope that that's true, but I, I'm afraid if we don't have some sort of a, a political response that like this shit can just pile on top of itself. Cause you know, the, the zombies will re- be replaced by other zombies. Um, and, and, and it scares me just because they, they, it's such bullshit conversation. In addition to, you know, I'm in California. Uh, yeah, everybody boo it. It's, you know, I, I, and I live out in a very isolated place on the coast. I really love it here. Uh, and I keep looking down the barrel being like, I fuck up. Like, my, am I going to have to flee the, my state pretty soon here? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. You know, like, this is my home. It's where I grew up. It's where I love. Uh, and I'm going to do everything I can to fight for it. But uh, California has some pretty pretty serious problems. And it keeps moving back into authoritarianism as a way to solve it. Uh, and it scares me, you know, cause like I have businesses here. I, I, like I said, I have my life here. I own my home here. Um, yeah. And I do think that the, I could totally see the state taking it away from me for any number of reasons and me needing to flee to Texas. And then I'm sure I'll show up and Teguma will laugh at me and be like, ha ha, I told you that you were going to come here anyways. <laughs> um, so I hope that that's not true, but you know, if it's how it has to play out, it does. Um, but yeah, we're obviously winning and like we're getting powerful every day, you know, and people convert to us and it's a one way street and they're never going to go back. And like you said, they're getting older, they're dying, uh, you know, and like, yeah, like when we really zoom back out and look at all this on a 20 year time span, I mean, shit, man, like the, the fact that you built this show and that all this stuff has happened in you know the last three, four years. And then we think about what's going to happen in the next 20 years. And we're both young guys. So, you know, 20 years from now, we're still going to be, we're not going to be in our prime, but we're still going to be, be moving and doing pretty well. And the fact that we're this far out already, I mean, that's super exciting. Um, in addition to, you know, like we're so far ahead of this wave, you know, like 
we've like swam up and we're like already catching it and on our board waiting for the rest of the force to come through. And, uh, it's real exciting. You know, like we're going to take our place in history and, uh, you know, I really think like our great, great grandchildren will like look back and we'll be like, Oh man, you know, like, do you know like great grandpa, uncle Marty was like a huge part of like people taking on Bitcoin in the United States. And he like created all this crazy Bitcoin mining stuff. And, you know, like he was one of the, the core people who really helped this stuff happen. Uh, and like, it's just so fucking cool that we like get to put our hands into this apparatus of history that can like allow for us to participate in it in a meaningful way on the right side. Like that's super exciting. Um, and I feel so blessed and privileged to be part of it. I do as well. And here, here we are getting to an optimistic tune here. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, Gracious compliments from my future great grandchildren. That uh, it is weird. Uh, I don't even. I, I don't like to like venture into that. Like uh, thought of people thinking of us in posterity, um, like that. But hey, it could turn out to be true if, if Bitcoin continues succeeding. But like, l- let's paint the picture for people. Obviously, we've uh, beaten the the dead horse of authoritarianism that that's surrounding us and seems to be ever encroaching. I do think we're going to win in our lifetimes. I think it's going to be quicker than uh, many people think. Uh, but what does that look like when we do win eventually in your mind? What, like how does society settle around the Bitcoin standard? Um, I think the augmentations to society are, are going to be pretty dramatic. Uh, I think localism is uh, going to rise up super powerfully just because people don't understand. Like, it's always, it's always blown my mind talking to farmers about just how much they get absolutely fucked on the processes of, of how they distribute and disseminate food. Uh, and so I think a Bitcoin standard is going to radically change sort of the, the framework of how we get our food, uh, how we get a lot of things. I think we'll move away from high consumerism, much more into a much more digital world. Uh, and I actually think what changes the most is the feeling of things. I think uh, you'll get into conversations with people and, and you can get kind of into the, these edgy topics. There, there's no longer this uh, self-censoring tenuousness that people have. Um, and I also think like all these other really interesting things start kind of unfolding from it because of the way that there's this true honoring of the liberty of the individual to like go out and create and do things on their own. And I think that that's going to have such a huge and powerful impact on development in a way that we don't really understand. And I, and I think like the, the best uh, equivalency I can point out is if you look at the sort of innovation and development that happens in China versus the United States. It's so stagnated and stultified because of how Chinese culture, you know, through the CCP has approached things and it's really stifled any sort of creativity or thoughtfulness or ability to play. Uh, And I think we've had that same atrophy in America because of, you know, how authoritarian things are getting. So I think moving back to a Bitcoin standard is going to cause for this sort of uh, Cambrian explosion of creativity and innovation because of the way that people are going to be much more free to interact and, and do things on their own. In addition to, to moving to a deflationary currency, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see a vast improvement in the quality of life of people, uh, changes to how people do education. I think, again, it gets localized. It goes much more smaller. Hybrid models of digital education start happening. Um, but I think there's just this really kind of 
radical opening that looks very similar to the United States with the Great Reformation in terms of there being a spiritual zeal kind of being recreated and, and inaugurated in people um, and people talking about it with each other and sharing and uh, yeah, just conversations really quickly kind of moving past superfluous bullshit and people being able to hit it deep with each other just because they want it, they're attuned to it, they're available to it. And I think, uh, being thoughtful towards money is sort of this initiation process towards it. And that it's, it's not just because they're thinking about money, but they're thinking about value. They're thinking about wealth. They're thinking about uh, long-term investing about, you know, all of these things that I feel like have gotten forgotten about because of the radical, uh, fucking idiocy that like is theodism and the, like, it's so hard to convey how deep this idea of fiatism has affected us. Um, and I think, like, as we sort of extricate that from ourselves, there's going to be this really deep process of healing that's about building community together again. Um, you know, and, and, like, one of the things that, that I truly feel about Bitcoin is one of the reasons, like, us interacting, like, me choosing to, to exchange Bitcoin with you or you choosing to exchange Bitcoin to me, like, this is us deeply honoring each other as individuals like i want and demand that you use a form of money that i don't have any possible way of stealing from you and i want you to want to demand that back from me and with us having respect towards each other as individuals in that way and then us offering that to society as well us saying i want to love and respect you as an individual human so much that i can't steal your wealth your, your life force from you uh, I think that's going to open up a really, really beautiful new world that people are really hungry for and is really going to speak to them in a way that they've never been spoken to before. That was, that was beautiful. And I, I, I can definitely see that coming up because think about the, again, going back to like the exist, existential dread that exists today. Like I think I still know people that are like grew up good friends. Maybe we're not, in uh, contact now, but like I see what they're doing via social media um, from time to time. And it's like people in their mid thirties are like in an office job, nine to five all day of the week, every day of the week doing shit they hate. And then Friday comes, they just get fucked up they get fucked up. They get fucked up and go to the same bars. And it's like, ah, you're going to wake up, you're going to be 45. And you're you're going to have a midlife crisis. You're like, what the fuck did I just do with half my life? This is a lot of people in society right now. There is no actual greater um, uh, calling, purpose, if you will. It's just go do your desk job, get your paycheck, get fucked up on the weekend, and do it again. And you'll have Monday off every once in a while. You got a few holidays and enjoy it until you until you crawl into the grave. Like that is a lot of our society right now being driven by this this fiat world. Um, it's, and like what what profound suffering that is, you know, to, right. to, to think about the possibility of what we can do. And, you know, like I speak to this also as an alcoholic as well. I thank God I I got a handle on my problem. But like that is that is how I approach the world before Bitcoin, uh, you know, and, and luckily my sobriety came right around Bitcoin as well. But that's how I approached the world is I was suffering. I would get myself shithouse drunk, wake up the next day hungover as fuck, 
repair myself throughout the day, engage in the process again. Then I go back to my nine to five, you know, and like, this is a slave's existence. This is, this is what it is, you know? And like, we look back in, in history and we go, Oh, look at the, these fucking losers. They were, they were slaves and they couldn't decide anything about their own lives. Yeah. And then like, we immediately turned to like, all right, off to work for like nine to five. We're like, hey, Bobby, you like want to come on a vacation with us? We're all going up to the lake for a week. And oh, no, I've got to work. Time off. But I'm free. And it's like, well, maybe we want to take some time to, to appraise that maybe you're not as free as you think you are. Um, you know, and to me, like, this is why this is all so important. It's like the money part's cool. Don't get me wrong. But like the, the freedom and human agency that like. I so desperately want a world where that is given to people and where people remember that you are a spirit of light and love and that you have this profound power inside of you that you can create in the world if you ask yourself to do that. And, you know, for for me, part of taking on that risk of Bitcoin was making that affirmation with statement of I, I love you enough that I'm going to take a risk on this, even though I don't know how any of this shit's going to work out. I tr- trust the 21 million units is actually going to, to stay and that the, the supply will be stable and that this thing works as it has told me it is because fiat is radically different from it. And making that choice, that break from the rest of society to say, I love myself enough to try out this Bitcoin thing because I want to have savings. I want to be protected from wealth seizures. I want to be protected from inflation. Uh, it induces a process of what it means to care for yourself, what it means to, to value yourself beyond what fiat world tells you. You know, and uh, I'm not sure about your experience, but my experience of making the full conversion to the Bitcoin standard and putting all of my wealth into it. People just told me I was crazy. They told me I'd lose everything. They told me I was destroying my life. They told me that I was making poor choices. And it turns out they were wrong about all of it. And I think it's really important that people get that these perspectives that were offered from people out in fiat world, that's their truths that aren't related over here. You know? Um, Well, their, their truths are full falsehoods, right? And I, my experience was very similar. I got yelled at my, I th- my in-laws for the longest time, I think thought I was crazy and thought my wife was insane for, for marrying me. And not, not, I, they love me. I love them. But I do think they're, they were like, what the hell is, is, is Marty doing with his life, uh, his professional life specifically. But now they understand, all right, uh, you, you have a respectable uh, business that you've created and uh, our daughter's comfortable and uh, you're able to raise children. So we're okay with that. But going back to like, did, did they ever like acknowledge that for you though? Be no, like, not, hey, over, like not overtly, but um, yeah. and, and I, I think there's less questions in the background these days, but um, the, like the fiat life too, like in, in what, in that uh, explanation you just went on reminded me of something that I'm very lucky. My dad, really instilled in us in, in an early age, like you're in control of your own happiness. Like nobody's going to make you happy but yourself. Like you have to take control of your life and build a life of purpose so that you can be happy. And in, in, in the fiat world, I mean, Bitcoin has given me that happiness, that purpose and building this media brand and everything else I'm doing in the Bitcoin world has given me a purpose. I, I don't work. I wake up and I'm invigorated to do what I do. In the fiat life, like happiness people are told what to be happy about. Like join this fantasy league, 
go to this dollar beer night. Like you need to get this degree to get this job. That is what will make you happy. Like again, it's it's the system saying, all right, if you check this box, this box, this this box, you'll be happy. Uh, this way, everything's portrayed, and and I think that's uh, the driving force behind the existential dread that exists today is that people are like, all right, I checked all these boxes, and I'm not happy. Um, so I'm just going to continue taking SSRIs. Uh, I'm going to end my own life. Continue drinking like that. Like the fact that the two leading cause of deaths in America between the ages of 18 and 45, the prime of life is uh, overdoses and suicide is insane. Like we, we live in a, in a sick culture. And I think it's because people aren't taking control of their own happiness. They're, they're having other people tell them what will make them happy, trying to do that to become happy and finding that it does not lead to happiness at all. Again, it's, it's, in the, well, I mean like that, those statistics right there, like that's the truth pandemic. I mean, like, I, I am absolutely aghast and beside myself the fact that, that those numbers can present themselves and that all of society doesn't slam on the brakes and go, holy shit, it is time to reorganize. Uh, and in fact, instead of that being the response, we get, we get the exact opposite, where it's, you know what, like, fuck everybody under the age of 50. Like, let's shut all of society down to make sure that we protect these older people. And it's... Uh, you know, I, I had uh, I had an old coworker say to me, "Any society that makes a decision to sacrifice the young for the old is not one I want to participate in." And 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 that's how I feel too. You know, and uh, it it is heartbreaking to think of how much people in our age group are deeply, deeply suffering, uh, and there is no answer to be found inside of political establishments, inside of media inside of education uh religion is lacking like it's all empty and it's so so hurtful and horrifying and we seem to to you know be rudderless and lost at sea and that again this is why bitcoin is so important is because it's this lifeboat that you can cling to and that it can have you recover actual meaning to the world. That, like, maybe it isn't all just fucking bullshit nihilism, but, like, maybe there actually is a true purpose to this world. And maybe you can discover it inside of yourself by you protecting yourself and rewarding yourself and asking yourself to, you know, convert to your savings, take on a risk, have Bitcoin. And maybe because you make those choices farther down the line, you're going to be able to take care of yourself better, that you're going to protect your family better, that you're going to be able to help yourself more. Um, and I think these ideas, more so than the actual wealth, it, it, it's so, so important because it, if not Bitcoin in this, then what is it? If, if we're actually going to recover ourselves and not live inside of this horrific panopticon the WEF is presenting, what is it? You know, And, and as far as I can tell, it has to be Bitcoin because at this point, there's no shitcoin that has any possibility of doing what we want to do. And in fact, most shitcoins seem to actually be these weird status applications. And I also think that this is one of the things that becomes kind of more astrological in the end. It's like, I actually think like Vitalik's probably going to like be anointed as like president for life of like some fucked up country and they'll like make ETH. It's like reserve currency, but they'll just like get to like randomly give it to whoever they want to. Um, you know, and like the best thing I can say to people is, look, like if 
if you want out of this cage that they've made for you, like we, we got a seat for you and we're waiting here. We want to help you. We want to educate you. We want to teach you. Uh, but like you have to make that choice for yourself, you know, and it's scary and it's difficult and it can be hard, but I just really want you to people to know, like, uh, and it's sort of hilarious, particularly with like this idea of toxic Bitcoiners, but like <laughs> Bitcoiners are some of the greatest people I've ever met. Like, I swear to God, these people give you a shirt right off their back if you ask them for it. And they they really want to help you. Um, and that's pretty unique and different for for where we're at. So I, I hope anybody who's listening that they're being casual about it and they haven't really took the plunge, like stop and ask yourself what do you want life to look like in the next five years? And ask yourself if you can do that without Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, also, if you just have other questions for us, please please reach out. Thanks for, for watching and participating. And we want you to know that uh, we want you on the Bitcoin standard, not because it helps our numbers go up and it makes us richer. We want you on the Bitcoin standard because I honor, love, and respect you as a human being enough that I want you to have unconfiscatable money, and I want you to want that for me too. Beautifully put. Get in. Yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, just thinking about my journey, my 20s were very volatile, very good financial job out of college, took a risk to get into like, product management, failed miserably at that, uh, luckily. Uh, like my career, my 20, I was unemployed for a lot of my 20s too. But luckily I had Bitcoin all the time. Like, and, uh, like this shelling, personal shelling point for me to, to, to use as a, a guiding light, a North Star, if you will, to always anchor into. Like I, I always had that feeling throughout my 20s. Like, all right, and Bitcoin's got some signal. I should keep learning about it, keep acquiring as much as possible. And uh, it's done leaps and bounds for, for me personally. Um, and I think most importantly, it really lit a fire under my ass to start a family. I have a child. I have another one on the way. I have a happy wife. I have a home. And it's that's what's fulfilling. Like, and that's, uh, again, all these people our age who are stuck in the existential dread of the nine to five and uh, going out and partying. A lot of them are waking up at 35 with no kids. Uh, and, and they're like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Um, and nothing will expedite that process faster than uh, focusing on accumulating Bitcoin so that you can you can uh, accumulate capital to deploy in the future um, for your family. Well, and it, it, it it's interesting that it had that effect on you because you know it 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 is true self ownership that has you look at your life in a responsibility in a way of being truly responsible for it, and that's exactly what Bitcoin is. It is true self ownership. You must take responsibility for your wealth and how it is protected in the world. Because if you don't, it means somebody else is. Somebody that can hurt you, somebody that can take it from you, somebody that can not have your best ideas at heart. And in all honesty, like I, I really think what we've been talking about the whole time, Marty, is that this is about death. This is about as human beings, we are going to die. And what do we want to do in order to make this life meaningful here? And how do we want to contribute to it in a meaningful way? Is it by following the fiat bullshit and the authoritarianism that they give us and having our self-ownership extricated from us and put inside of a system where we don't have control? Or is it asking for ourselves to be responsible for our own wealth and to take self-ownership, not only of our wealth, but of our commonwealth, of the actual res publica, the public thing, our society and life? And I think that's truly what's happening with Bitcoin is that we're... 
not ju only taking responsibility for our own wealth, but the way that that inflects upon us to start taking responsibility for our life, and then how that eventually becomes taking responsibility for our society. Because the truth is, is that Bitcoiners must take responsibility for all of the shit that is happening in society because there is no one else. We are the last option. A lot of work ahead of us, freaks. Eric, I can't believe it took us this long to, to get on a podcast together. It was, it was a fucking incredible two-hour conversation. I can't wait to do it again. If you ever come to Texas, please let me know. I'd we'll love to meet up in person. Um, maybe do one of these. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marty. I, I, I deeply appreciate your work. And, uh, you know, it's great to hear you, you wake up and it's not work for you. It's, it's your purpose. And, and to me, like, this is the shit that I absolutely love about Bitcoin is because like, I don't think you ever had an idea in your life that this is what you would be doing in early 2022. And it probably excites the absolute hell out of you. And this is how it is for so many Bitcoiners that I know is that as you go deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole, it starts to transform you. You start to get empowered by others. You start to be nourished by their content and become more powerful. And so like I, I just really want to say I, I celebrate the work that you do and I look forward to seeing you again in person and giving you a bear hug. And uh, I'll probably be visiting Texas because I'll be terrified of how I'm going to get uh, exploited by the state here in California. <laughs> so. I hope that's not true. And I hope that, uh, you know, when I get my psychedelic compound, because like I'm trying to buy this 150 acres for people to come and be able to do psychedelics and have spiritual experiences. So I like hopefully that. it'll all work out. And if it does, you're, you you and many other Bitcoiners are invited to come and participate because that's, uh, that's my other passion. So. Well, I'm a big fan of psychedelics. So I'll definitely be making the trip uh, if if and when uh, that, that land is acquired. Um, and speaking of content that's fulfilling, uh, Eric's got some of the most fulfilling content in the Bitcoin space. CryptoSovereignty.org is the website. Um, uh, just uh, if you really want to get esoteric and dive deep into the why and the, the philosophy behind um, the revolution that is Bitcoin, highly recommend going to check out all these pieces. You're going to be better off for it, freaks. I think you're going to be better off for this conversation too, Eric. You're fucking... Uh, very high energy. Uh, this was a very high energy riff. I'm very excited. I've got another podcast at three. I thought I was going to be a little tired after having this long conversation, but I'm like ready to go. Awesome, man. Well, I look forward to the next time that, that we get the chat. Thanks to all the freaks for joining us. And, uh, you know, buy Bitcoin, know that the world is good and that we're going to be transforming stuff in, in a positive way to create a world that uh, is, is so much more exciting and, and profound than you ever thought it could be. Let's do it, freaks. Peace and love. <laughs>